It's me, Skin, welcoming you to another episode of my podcast, Skin Things, where I like to sit down with some of my favourite artists and just, you know, spill the tea. This is the place where you can hear my full, extended, uncut versions of my interviews on Absolute Radio. There's almost too much good stuff to let them just go to waste. Um, So this is why we are here. And that is certainly the case with my guest on this episode. I had a lovely chat with the brilliant and unique voice behind London Grammar, Hannah Reid. Here she is. first thing I was going to ask you, I mean, it is the question to ask really about how your lockdown's been going. And I guess now it's about to be all over. Can you look back on it with any kind of like, to catalogue the negatives is kind of obvious, So, but to catalogue the kind of silver linings, I, I mean, I feel that there's some good stuff has come out of it as well for artistically. I mean, how was your lockdown? Was it creative for you? Um, so I think like the first lockdown, like when it first happened, I definitely was not creative at all. I was like one of those people who was just totally useless to society in every way, but had really bad anxiety (laughs) and just like was an emotional wreck, like so scared for the world. So yeah, that was not great. And I definitely didn't write any songs then, but then as we kind of got used to this way of life, actually it's, it's probably been one of the most prolific times I've had as, as a songwriter. And I think we've had as a band because Usually we would like make an album and immediately go out on the road. But this time we made an album, pushed it back and then just went straight into making our fourth album, which was kind of really interesting, actually. Mm. I think there's something about having the one thing I think we as artists that we we don't have is time. I mean, we have a lot of time to do a lot of things. I mean, for instance, I mean, I've got a little studio at home and stuff like that. And if I think of an idea, I can literally do that one idea and nothing else for four days, you know, five days. I mean, yes, I've got things that I do in the morning, I work out this, whatever. I mean, and I think that it means that, have you found in the way that you've done it, has it meant that you've just been able to go much, much deeper into the music? Yeah, I think so. And I think it's enabled me to treat it more, the create the creative process, more like a daily nine to five job than I ever have before. Right. I've never, I never had that before. We were always... I don't know, on the first album, we were just so busy doing promo and gigs that I was all over the place the whole time. Yeah. Whereas now it's like, yeah, I kind of like what you're saying. It's like, I can wake up, I can go for a run and then, you know, go to the studio. And it's like actually having a structure to the creative process. And I've found that so helpful. It's been completely like changed everything really. It's weird because I think that as artists, we get into music because we don't want to do, you know, we don't work for the man. You know, we don't want to do things in a, in a normal way. You know, we we actually crave abnormality. And then there's something that I'm like appreciative of, like, OK, well, I've I had uh, an interior design job when I came out of uni um, and then I kind of never did it again. And actually, there's something nice in that. Right. Yeah. I mean, totally. I definitely feel so lucky to do this for a living because I am the most disorganized person in the world and I don't know how I ever would have coped doing anything else. How are you disorganized? Are you sure? I'm so disorganized. It's actually a real problem. One of my bandmates, so Dot in the band is equally as bad as me and Dan is always just really frustrated because he's like the only sensible one. Um, I just, I don't know, on the road, I would just lose everything. I always lose my bank card, my keys, my like wallet. 
I just you know, like the friend who like when you go out they have to go, come and stay at your house because they can't get into their house and they got no cab money in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally. <laughs> no, I'm sure you're not that bad. But I was going to go back a little bit. Um, did you always dream of doing music? Did music come like really naturally? What are your earliest memories with music? I think I dreamed about something about writing songs and. I didn't think about it that much. I just never believed that it would ever be my job. I was like, I, I think I was quite a realist, actually. I was like, that's so unlikely to happen. But I just have always, always written songs. And what I realize now is like, I was putting a lot of hard work in when I was very young that I didn't really realize because I just loved it so much. And what learning guitar? Um, I start, I taught myself sort of how to play guitar when I was at school. And then, I don't know, I've always taught myself instruments by ear, so I'm quite bad at playing instruments yeah. in some ways. Like, I can't really, like, read music, but I can, I can write songs on whatever tool is available to me, and that's the main thing. But when I met Dan, he's, like, so amazing at guitar that he then kind of, like obviously he's taken over that role more and plays guitar in the band because he is actually a guitarist <laughs> um, and is like much better than me. It's exactly like me and Ace. It's like, uh, he just looks at me like a cup of sick when I start playing guitar and I'm like, I just like it and he hates it. But now he doesn't mind because I'm not so bad anymore. But in the beginning years, it was like, oh, can you just put that down so I can do it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, what music were you into when you were at school and playing guitar? Were you kind of a Joni Mitchell type or you were more into heavier stuff or...? I have always been into kind of everything, really. I'm definitely really into songs. So I would get quite obsessional about particular songs. And they're like songs that I will go back to, you know, forever, I think, again and again. But I, I listen to a lot of like um, singers that my mum listened to. She loves music and still does love music. And through her, I kind of listen to, um, yeah, Joni Mitchell, Carole King, Nina Simone, uh, Whitney Houston was my... Cannot not Whitney. Cannot not Whitney. I mean, what a voice. Yeah, just the best. Um, like Gladys Knight, she loved Barry White. Barry mm -hmm. White was her favourite. Um, Stevie Nicks. I think my mum really related to female voices. Yeah. So I listened to a lot of definitely female singers growing up. And then I think in my teenage years, I kind of got more into like the dance scene because me and my friends would go to Fabric Oh gosh, really? Who's your, who did, which DJs? So I remember I loved um, Casper and Rus Roscoe. Oh, right, cool. And it kind of makes me cringe because I think that me and, I just think I was the cringest person in, in fabric. I just, I don't know, I feel like the oh, way yeah. that dance in there, <laughs> I'm just not so sure about. Um, and then like high contrast. Oh gosh, and, yeah, yeah. And yeah, burial. So I got into kind of dance music and then all alongside that, I've like had my favorite bands and my favorite um, movie soundtracks. And I love the violin and, you know. Wonderful. That's interesting that you say that um, because I, I guess, you know, because I started off with early dance music and it was like literally acid in the field, <laughs> you know, not the drum yeah. I mean, the music in the fields. And I guess by the time you were raving, which was around like late 90s, early 2000s, you know, that was really the kind of second massive rebirth of dance music, really. I mean, it was yeah, so it was. much good stuff coming out, as well as, like, stuff that had been more edged, like Prodigy and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember I saw the Prodigy at a festival once. 
blew your mind, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They blew my mind. But I remember the crowd was went absolutely crazy. It was kind of scary. And I kind of, I think at some point somebody had to like lift me out of the crowd and I kind of <laughs> ran away. It was like really intense. Being carried away on a wave of like people going, I'm a fire starter. <laughs> it was that, it was that, yeah. I have to say, um, we um, we played with Prodigy, you know, I hate to say, but we played with Prodigy a couple of times, so if I'm not like dropping names. And I, it's one of those gigs where if you've ever seen an audience just lose, completely lose their shit, it was like when Firestarter came on. Yeah, Faithless, wow. Faithless was another band, was, you know, I can't get you no know, sleep. Those two tunes, Firestarter in festivals, are just moments to behold, right? They're just like this otherworldly thing when everyone just goes, ah! <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, we actually did some work with Rollo Armstrong at the start of our career, and he told me such an amazing story about Blissey that um, she wrote that, you know, their most famous riff. Yeah. She just like wrote it on the keyboard like it was nothing. It was just nothing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, let's go to lunch. And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they just, <laughs> they had no idea what they had just made. Well, don't, don't you think some when it comes to songwriting, some of the the biggest songs are like that, you know, like um, I'm sure that's happened to you on some of your songs. Some of the most iconic songs are the ones that just literally fall out of you and you don't even think about it. And then later on, everybody's mm. like, hold on a minute, that's genius. You yeah, know? like, is it? And then that makes you feel like you've lied somewhere along the way and you're like, I don't think it is. I'm really confused. <laughs> yeah, I'm really... I was going to ask you about your voice because when I first signed um, Record Deal, the first thing I did was go and get myself some singing lessons because being in a rock band, I was just going, Bleh! and I was like, I know I'm going to lose my voice if I continue. And, I, and so I had an opera trainer. Um, and that's one of the things so, that I noticed about your voice early on, that it has this very kind of ethereal, um, I'm sure you hear that word all the time about your music, but this kind of laconic thing and the way that your phrasing is, is quite on the beat, which is, I, I guess, it's quite unusual to me in pop music. So what were the differences that you had to do in terms of, you know, your, so you've got this opera training and then, and then you're playing guitar and you've got to make that kind of gradual move towards pop music and, and dance music and electronic music. Because you do that little trill that you're doing that he has in your voice. Do you have to kind of readapt it from opera, which can, can be quite stiff? What were the differences you felt in that shift? This is kind of a bit embarrassing because I <laughs> this comes up a lot, but I, I actually wasn't really um, opera trained. And I don't really know where that... That's... I keep saying it in all your interviews, I keep reading it. So... And, I, and I, I keep correcting the lie because I, but then I'm tempted to maybe I should just go with it because it makes me sound far more interesting than I actually am, to be honest. Um, well, I'm glad you're saying that because, you know, this is, I love that because it's kind of like, I, I've got a question later about lazy journalism where somebody writes things and everybody just repeats it. So yeah, do my yeah. research, I read that. And, and I, it, to me, it sounded quite like, yeah, I can imagine that because you're, the way you sing is quite straight in some ways. Yeah, so I did actually have singing lessons with this little Welsh lady who would come to our school and like give lessons sort of at lunchtime for half an hour. And so she wasn't an opera singer, but there is a truth to the whole classical training thing because she didn't teach me opera, which I think is like a different style. But what she did do is she was so conservative. She like didn't let me sing pop songs. She only let me sing folk music. Mm. And what I think, I think actually now I realize, like, again, that's the kind of thing that happens to you when you're young, but I didn't think about it at the time. 
And I've desperately tried to find her since because I got so much more from her than actually I ever could have imagined because I think she sort of protected my voice during some really formative years. And that folk thing definitely, I think, has carried on, which is maybe where the ethereal thing comes from. Mm. And um, yeah, there is that element to my voice. And I think sometimes translating it into a kind of more commercial um, realm has been kind of hard for me. I don't know how much my voice really suits songs like that. Like I'm always experimenting. I write all different types of songs, like pop songs and folk songs. And um, I definitely found that, I, I don't know like how you feel, but the kind of voice that I have, I don't think um, coped with touring very well. Mm. It did feel a little bit like I would be better suited to singing in the same theatre night after night and not yeah. doing travelling and, and everything. And um, Very difficult on the voice. I think people really kind of uh, underappreciate it because of all the rock and roll stories they hear about artists on tour. Um, when I'm on tour, for instance, I literally do everything I can. It's all about the voice and keeping my yeah. voice low because you're in air-conditioned bus, you're this, you're not sleeping well, whatever. And all of that stuff is actually very, very bad for the voice because the one thing that's great for the voice is eight hours sleep. Yeah. And that's the one thing you don't get on tour because it has to rejuvenate and, and stuff like that. So yeah, I really understand what you're saying about that because I can hear that in your voice in the way that it's solid in the studio, it's settled, it's solid. You have a great tone and it's very rich and you're very in control of your voice and in control of your tone which I think is that training right it's knowing how to use your voice but then I love what I love about your voice is it's very spiritual as well you do have a very spiritual connection it sounds like I'm blowing smoke up your ass but no I'm just actually I'm really enjoying it do care. <laughs> I'm talking technically about the things that we know a lot about which is voices yeah. you know because your voice sounds to me as sitting on a bed of you know it's bedrock there underneath your voice and I think that is the training right so it's difficult because you I love that training you know it's uh I don't do that very well but it's it's really particular and I think that's the reason why your why your voice is quite unique and you know why it's different and that's the difference right yeah I mean something original I mean, I, I, I often feel like I'm not in control. I think I struggle quite a lot with, with nerves and my confidence, but I, I've worked really hard, especially actually during the pandemic to try and kind of, when I, when I do sing to like ground myself and it is, it's nice that you touch upon the spiritual thing. Cause I, I didn't grow up with any religion. I am from an atheist family and am an atheist, but the closest thing to a religious experience or spirituality that I have felt is through singing. And over the last couple of years, I've really learned to be like, actually, when I do sing, it's not actually about me at all. Like this is coming from somewhere else. I don't really understand what that is, but I, it gives me that feeling. And then actually I get much more relaxed on stage. And um, so it's really, yeah, it's, it's nice that you touched upon that, but definitely what touring did give me was a set, I mean, it threw me in the deep end and did give me some pretty good training. I did also in my 20s actually have some lessons with like a more pop singer. And she kind of gave me tools as well to, she was like, you know, if it happens for you and you end up out on the road, like these are things you can do to protect your voice. But definitely the key is sleep. And that is the one thing on the road that you just, you don't get. <laughs> the thing about the voice is the one thing is the only instrument that is in the orchestra or is in the band that just 
goes from inside to outside of you. Like someone's going to play inside, they've got to go and get a piece of wood. You know, they've got to go and get a trumpet or a violin where your voice is always sitting in there and always part of you. So depending on how you feel is how your voice is going to come out, right? And yeah. I think that's why I think singing is such a spiritual thing because it's intrinsically linked to yourself and your soul. And, and I say spiritual in terms of that, and I'm not religious, you know, in the slightest myself. So... I, I, I kind of see it in that because uh, I think and that's the emotional thing that I hear in your voice you know um, uh, I have to confess myself and my partner we fell in love with your music and, and it's really good for certain points it's really good for in the background for certain things that's all I'm gonna say <laughs> right oh, I get that a lot yeah because it's great you know it's emotive music and it's really touching um and, and so you know we're, we're massive fans which is why you know oh, thank you i remember so, our, our, first, our first tour manager said that to me as well and then he was our tour manager for like years <laughs> after and i couldn't get the image out of my head oh <laughs> <laughs> um, listen i've got loads i've got loads of questions so i'm gonna have to um run through them like a huge amount of luck kind of involved in meeting band members that have talent you know because I think people forget that there's lots of people going to sing there's lots of people who can do production stuff um and I love the fact there's a, a threesome in your band in a way that is it like everybody in the band's doing different things so are you the main singer songwriter and then one of them does production and one of them plays instruments or does everybody do everything how does it work when you're actually being creative I am definitely the lyricist and main songwriter. And when it comes to production, that's been quite, that has been an interesting journey actually, because all three of us are producers, but in very different ways, I would say. Um, and we have very strong identities that are actually getting stronger and stronger. So that was sometimes a bit of cause of a bit of tension actually um, between the three of us, which I'm sure is, you know, being in a band, there's always tensions. <laughs> there's no tension. Exactly. You make really bad music because everybody's always happy all the time. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's just so true. Um, I tend to be much more like melody focused. So I write a lot of the synth parts or um, string parts for songs. And I kind of tend to have like an overall vision, which sometimes then if the boys start to take it down a different journey, I've had to really learn to pick my battles and be like, am I being stubborn and difficult or am I right? And usually sometimes when it's those songs, we end up with like 12 different versions of a song because we are like quite diplomatic now. We'll always experiment, like no matter what someone's idea is. I mean, they're both so extraordinary, actually. I could speak about their genius. Yeah, I can do it. I mean, it's, 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 that's what I'm saying. It's, it's luck. You found, when you find a band, there's a lot of luck involved that you find the right people who you know, are delicate to your voice and understand the vision and you're in the same world, you know, because I think a lot of artists in those early years, like me, um, mm. spend a lot of time going in wrong, wrong directions. Mm. Um, and so I think that's, that's quite a great thing that you found those two. It is. And like Dot loves dance music and he's, he loves like nerding out to like modular synths and like, he's always been, he was the first one out of the three of us to kind of learn logic. And when he learned logic, he learned logic in like a week and then knew all the shortcuts and everything and was just so prolific on, on logic and making beats. 
But Dot's also an amazing pianist as well. So he can write classical parts on the piano, which is, of course, really important. And Dan kind of straddles um, two different types of production style. He kind of, he channels a lot of emotion, actually, like a songwriter, I think. And it's been interesting to watch him kind of evolve so he's a guitarist, essentially. I think that was like the craft that he learned. But he now has obviously expanded out and loves making loops with beats and strings. And he's learning the piano. But their two styles are so different. Yeah, it's interesting for me, I guess, as a singer. It's like I then, you know, if I love something that either one of them has made, I can then turn that into a song. Because, you know, every band has to have a dictator. Bands are not democratic. Because you can't yeah. have everybody having the same set, but everything you do have to have a leader, I find, musically. Yeah, so I think we struggled with that a little bit on our second record. I think we became overly democratic because we had a little bit of a rocky patch at the very start of our career, which I think actually, despite the success, I think is actually quite common. Yeah. And I think we were so afraid of upsetting each other that things became, yeah, overly democratic, I think. And... On this, on this third album, I did kind of say to the boys, I was like, you know, I think it's okay. Like, let's give it a go if I'm the leader. And it's an interesting thing with the whole production thing and the whole songwriter thing, because I'm so emotionally focused. I'm just completely driven by my emotional expression. And it's quite difficult to remain authentic to yourself emotionally if something doesn't feel right in the music. I don't know if you've ever... Felt yeah, that. I find that um, I've kind of, I mean, I'm a band with three very strong boys, so I've kind of had to, over the years, fight to become the kind of leader of it simply because I'm, I see the songs finish in my head, you know, I, 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 I you know, yeah. I, I, I hear, when, I, when you're writing, because you're writing lyrics and melodies, you hear the whole song, you know, and you hear the ways that it could go. Um, and with boys, obviously, you have to do a lot of experimentation because actually, the reason why the band works is because they're so, such amazing musicians that they can just do things that I didn't even think of and the song gets better, you know? Yeah. But it is a, it is a, it's a, a finite experience. I mean, you know, my band split up for eight years and they've got back together again. So yeah, definitely lots of fights in there and everything like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's something that um, you have to learn as, as you go on, right? It's really common because I actually think sometimes being, I think, what I've experienced sometimes is being a songwriter. A lot of my work is completely invisible because it comes out, it comes out of you. And I don't really know where it comes from. The melodies just come out of you. They don't come out of me because I've sat there on a computer and put eight hours of hard work in. Sometimes mm. I'll wake up in the morning and there'll be a song there. And I think sometimes for the boys, what's quite what was quite difficult is they could put loads and loads of effort into something. And I'd just be like, Oh, sorry. I just don't think it's right. It's like, you do a million great grooves, but I don't write anything. You haven't got a song mate. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think the hardest job actually that they have sometimes is being like, is not having an, an ego about it because of course you would. Um, yeah. And, but what's kind of great is like we've learned just to be really honest and speak about it. And we actually take the piss out of each other a lot. And um, that's really, really, really helped 
really helped us. But definitely when we were younger, yeah, there were arguments yeah, for sure. We had to learn how to do that. We, we basically just eventually got to a thing of like, okay, when you walk through this door, egos are gone. You know, it doesn't matter who wrote the song, just only the best ideas get done. Um, yeah. That's the thing. I was going to talk about something which you tapped on earlier. I mean, I think that as artists, we all suffer from like lazy journalism. You know, like, like once somebody writes something, everybody just copies it. And so your image just gets repeated over and over again, right? like you were talking about me thinking that you are portrayed. And I have this image of London Grammar as this kind of like nice bunch of middle class kids who write like polite floating songs and melodies. You know. Oh, yes. You know, that is our image for sure. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I'm kind of like, I don't believe that. I don't believe yeah. that at all. You know, I think that there's, you know, I think it gets a bit aggy. And I think that, especially being a female in the band, you know, that's not, that's not what London Grammar is really, is it? Because you're from I, Acton. You know what? I've been doing this for 10 years. First of all, I am from Acton. So if you know, you know, I'm not as yeah, middle exactly. class as I made. I lived in Broadway for like, oh, I lived in Broadway for like, uh, eight years something like that you know yeah it's oh four, years, four years yeah. I, know, I know acting well it's an interesting place it's a bubble for sure it's kind of in between it's on that long long road and then it's like at one end you've got central london and at the other end you've got ealing broadway and then acting's kind of on the road in between yeah i mean i literally lived on the 207 night bus during my teenage years <laughs> i'm sorry for my mom now i look back on it i just wow. yeah um you know I've yeah I've been doing this for 10 years and I've never no one has ever brought that up or asked me a question about that and I think it's actually really nice that you have because I definitely have struggled in some ways because of the way that I come across because there's such a focus on the whole rock and roll thing in bands and I'm aware of how I come across you know I am middle class and when it comes to my education I've I have had privilege and all of those things but definitely when it comes to I think being a woman, I felt like it really put me in a box mm-hmm. and I, I, I didn't really fit into this club. I felt like very on the outside of a kind of male rock and roll club. And it's interesting because I have been through emotionally a lot of stuff in my life and um, underneath it, me down in dark kind of share a darkness, I think, in some ways. And um there's a lot more to us than that, but for sure, I'm aware that that's the image. But I, I kind of just learned that I don't really whatever people think they're gonna think, and you, yeah. are, you are you can't change how you come across or where you look. Yeah. So. I mean, you can you do if you take the weight of what other people think on your shoulders, you never never leave the room because you'd be too weighed down by everybody else's isn't. Exactly. I mean, I think that you know also just like you know the woman and rock question drives me crazy because it's always a bit like we couldn't be more different. But we have a lot of the same crap and the same experiences. I was reading about you um, and this the thing about this bass when you were like trying to tell the engineer that, you know, in a live gig there was too much bass. And um, I was reading about this thing because um, I remember that one of the first lessons I learned in the studio was like, I want this guy to put like reverb on my voice. Like, it was long convoluted reason why I couldn't have reverb. And I was a bit like... Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, just reverb. And so that was when I kind of made and decided that, okay, I have to learn how a studio works because I'm tired of like people telling me what to do. Um, no. And I think that, you know, it, we're very different, but it, we still have the same things of like being a female in a band and not taken seriously. And, you know, everyone else thinking that all the boys do all the work and you just kind of stand there and sing. And in that interview, in that interview, there was this definite air of like, well, they obviously asked you the question about being a woman in, in, in the industry. And then when you answered, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, she's, you know, she's still a moaning b-. 
And I'm like, there lies the sexism, you know, in that they ask you the question, they put you into it. And then when you answer it, it's like, well, you're a typical woman being a moany about being a woman in the industry. Right. You know? yeah. yeah, like 100%. And I definitely also have always been asked questions that I'm like, I don't believe Chris Martin ever got asked this question. I don't yeah. believe Matt Healy from the 1975 has ever been asked this question. You kind of end up having to defend yourself a lot. I feel like when you're a female and I constantly felt like I was treading on eggshells at the start of my career. It was like, you couldn't be too opinionated, but then if you weren't opinionated, no one would respect you. And then I think that they would say that it just, yeah. I think it's, there's, a, there's a lot of good that comes out of being a bit stroppy, I think, because then it gets things done. I think you have to really stand up for yourself in, in, yeah, in the music industry. You absolutely do. And I just think it's a lot easier for men to do that. I think it is harder when you're a female. I think, I think it really rubs people up the wrong way. And I don't think that it's actually conscious. I don't think they even realize what that dynamic is and that it's there, but it is. It's it's almost like, like people are so socialized. But I'm, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about um, the, the new stuff coming out, because I noticed that you um, you have a four track EP that came out in March, March 21st. Right. And then you have a new single America. So we, we basically released like four singles and, and we ha- our album comes out on uh, Friday, actually, Californian soil. Um, but. We, it's taken so long because it was meant to our album was meant to come out last year and then we kept delaying it because we were like this doesn't really feel like the right time it's the most upbeat album we've ever made so I mean I've played the music a lot on the show but it feels like there's not all beats going on on this one and it's, and it's a little bit more aggy it's definitely more aggy I've definitely channeled some ag on there um <laughs> which felt really really great and then I think because of that we've exp- we just experimented a lot more with um Production and rhythm, I think, not just beats, but the actual rhythm of, of percussion. Um, obviously, the singles are always the ones that like have the beats on them. And there are some very stripped back moments as well on the album, for sure. Mm. Tell me the feelings and, and the song about America. Yeah, so that song was I wasn't in the best place when I wrote that song, actually. Um, and it was I kind of wasn't sure if I could carry on being in the music industry. And obviously, I was like really upset about that and so I kind of sat down at the piano just like so self-indulgent I was like crying and I wrote this song saying goodbye to all the music that I thought that maybe I wouldn't be able to write and and then I was like oh I'm just gonna play it to the boys you know I'm just gonna I'll just see what they think I guess I've written this song and then just like slowly but surely from there I kind of we ended up making an album but I think in getting to a place where I wasn't really sure if I could be in music anymore, I actually got so much strength from that. And I was like, well, I've got nothing to lose now. So I may as well just say what I want to say. And there's a bit of like, you know, the broken American dream in there and, yeah. and that kind of thing. There's a little bit of darkness in there. But, and then it just seems to me that that seemed to be like almost like a trampoline that you just kind of grabbed hold of everything. And then you almost have gone to the other way in that. Because now it just feels like there's so much strength. In, in, in the feeling that I'm getting, like, you know, you've taken hold of the band, you've taken hold of how it is artistically and yeah. you're running things. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Like, I, I think so. And, and what's really nice, actually, I really believe that women do make great leaders because in a way we have a very healthy and democratic way of doing things, it seems at the moment. Um, and we're a band, which is nice. 
we're, we're good at getting everyone's opinions and not stumping over what they feel, you know, in terms of like their ideas. I think men are much easier that, you know, they'll laugh at someone's idea where we're like, yeah, we're not sure. But then I think, I think women are good at getting the best out of men in a, a way that's kind of conducive to good work. Right. Yeah. I know you got to go um, and I've stolen lots of your time. So I was just going to ask you about future stuff. So now you're feeling, and I agree with you, this is a great time to release a, a London Grammar album. And then you've got tours coming up. How are you? Are you waiting to see what's happening or? Yeah, yeah I mean, so we have a tour booked in for November, like two nights, Ali Pali and, and some great venues in there. And we're, we're super excited, but it obviously is all, covid dependent i think we were pretty sure that it was going to happen but then now i don't there's this whole like passport vaccine possibility thing or how people get tested i guess we just have no idea but we it's not till november i mean i think that i mean i agree with you but i think that the way it'll work will that will that even if it doesn't happen people are aware of it and much more flexible now i mean yeah. i'm used to idea that it might we have a gig uh later on in the year and it's it's the same thing hopefully it'll happen but we don't yeah. know where, where are you playing uh iceland oh amazing whereabouts uh, iceland reykjavik i think yeah oh incredible we moved our tour to march next year we're going right. to uh, and then we're going to do um, Glastonbury and uh, uh, Meltdown, Grace Jones. Oh, oh, Meltdown's a great festival. Well, hopefully if Glastonbury happens, we were meant to be playing. Is, is that because you, obviously you've moved over from the Glastonbury that was cancelled? Yeah, yeah, oh. exactly. So, oh. but yes, yeah, so if, we, if we are, I'm going to come see you. You've got to come oh, see you. Versa. That will be really fun. It's been really lovely talking to you. Absolutely gorgeous to talk to you. Um, um, and as I say, I'm a massive fan. So um, I'm very happy that um, you're kind of like the finale of the season, really. Because uh... he's so much. <laughs> it's an honour. It's great. It's an honour to talk to you. So thank you. Well, listen, give my love to the boys. And um, um, and have, really, the, the music's fantastic. Um, I love the singles and we play them on the show. Um, but thank you for taking some time out to um, come and talk to welcome. me. You're welcome. You're welcome. We're in a pleasure, darling. We're in a pleasure. <laughs> Hannah there, very excited to see London Grammar just get bigger and bigger. Thanks for all your lovely comments about Skin Tinks. I love to chat with some of my favourite musicians, so I'm glad you're enjoying hearing them too. I'll be taking a little break for the podcast for the time being, so make sure you catch up with any episodes you've missed. And why not recommend Skin Tinks to a friend? Uh, definitely give us five stars of you and a nice comment. I love doing this podcast. Um, I find it really inspiring and I love having a chat to some musicians that I've really admired. So I will definitely be back with more Skin Tinks. So until next time, see you then.